to Exodus 5. Okay, so as we return back, get reoriented to uh, the awesome true story of um, the Exodus uh, of God's people from Egypt to um, their own land that God prepared for them, the promised land. And last time we looked at, I want you to know before we start reading, that God had told Moses and Aaron to go and tell the elders of Israel and go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so last chapter, chapter 4, Moses and Aaron did the first part. They told the elders. Uh, they backed it up with the signs that God told them to, to, to uh, do and the miraculous signs. And lo and behold, the elders believed and worshipped. Uh, so Moses and Aaron were very encouraged. And that's where we pick it up. Uh, chapter 5 begins right there. Please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I won't let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foreman went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten. But the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, Let us go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. 
Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and everywhere may bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. What an incredible true story that we have here in God's word this morning. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, I have a dear sister in the Lord who was a fellow gospel worker when I was out in Dwaynesburg, New York. Um, we were the music team. She played piano and organ, and I played guitar, and uh, we led God's people in worship. And uh, she is just a, a, a dear, dear saint, dear friend, and uh, had a great sense of humor. And she used to always say, like she'd write me an email or communicate with me in some fashion, and she would say, and I'm not used to waiting. And I always tease her back, well, you better get used to it. <laughs> We'd have some fun. But I think it's safe to say that one of the most difficult things in life for all of us is to wait. And that's the hardest thing to do is wait in many, in many instances. I don't know too many people in my life that I've met that actually enjoy waiting in most um, situations. Now, it's not just a cliche, but patience really is a virtue. That's not just some uh, saying that we say. And of course, waiting is hard, and uh, it goes without saying, um, I should say, that uh, suffering is also a hard thing to do. Um, it's most of us, the, the vast majority of us, don't enjoy suffering in any form. And I know, I know that's an understatement. Uh, but let me tell you this, I'm always amazed, and I'm sure you are too, when you meet people who can suffer with such poise and grace. When I meet a seasoned saint in particular who can just uh, suffer uh, with trusting in the Lord and still, you know, still showing forth um, his love and his grace and his mercy, and even in the midst of their suffering, I got to admit, it's a marvel. It, it, it amazes me. And it is a tribute to God's amazing grace at work and a sinner saved by grace's heart and life. Now, when you take waiting and suffering and you put them together, now we have a perfect storm. Now we have the one-two combination, the knockout combination to mix my metaphor. That's a double whammy, isn't it? When we're waiting, it seems like we're waiting forever and we're waiting forever in our suffering. Now, of course, there's the example of Job, and I couldn't help but uh, bring him up. We did have the opportunity to preach through the book of Job, which was a complete blessing to me, and I hope it was to you, those of you who were able to uh, sit under that book as well. Um, remember, he definitely uh, suffered <laughs> incredibly, and he did so with patience, right? In the, in the book of James, it points out that he did so with patience. We talk about the patience of Job, but don't forget this. In that book, God says, I have no one like him on all the earth. <laughs> so it's very rare 
that you find um, people that are able to do so with such grace. Well, in Exodus chapter 5, the reason I bring these things up, in Exodus chapter 5, we find that God's people are under severe bondage and slavery to a foreign king. And they're, as they're awaiting God's promise that he's already made to set them free and deliver them from such bondage. We just, um, I just mentioned earlier that um, Moses and Aaron already met with the elders of Israel. He, they told them um, what all the words that God had told them, the Lord had told them. And lo, lo, and lo and behold, it says in the text, they believed and they worshipped. Um, and perhaps besides the signs that Aaron and Moses did, the greatest miracle was found in chapter 4, verse 31. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. Now talk about immediate success, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine that Moses wasn't feeling like success, right? Finally, they get it. Because you remember 40 years ago, he tried to deliver them, and that didn't go so well. <laughs> he ended up running with his tail between his legs uh, to Midian. So Moses must have felt like, finally, they believe I am not a complete failure after all. They came so they were going into Pharaoh, the meeting with Pharaoh, with great confidence, great encouragement. They must have had a little bounce in their step, as it were, as they go to meet with Pharaoh. But as we're going to see, that meeting didn't quite go as well as the meeting with the elders. And what we're going to see in the text, there's so many uh, great truths to be found in this text, but I want to give you the main one. And we'll look at some of those um, minor um, truths as well. And I mean uh, minor themes. They're just as great as the truth, but they're minor themes. Let's, let's look at the main theme, and it's going to be this. Even when the truth of God is rejected by the world around us, we can patiently wait in faith, even in our suffering, knowing that God's word is as rock solid as his character. I'm going to say that again. Even when the truth of God's word is rejected by the world around us, we, as God's people, those who trust in Christ, can patiently wait in faith, even in our suffering, knowing that God's word is as rock solid as his character. That's an awesome truth. That God's word is as solid as his character, who he is. We can count on it. We can stake our lives on it, brothers and sisters. I'm going to take a look at the first thing we're going to see is that the truth of God's word is rejected by the world. That's the first thing we see in the text. As we look at the text, chapter 5, we're going to see the, the word there, afterward. Well, after what? Well, we just talked about it. After Moses and Aaron uh, had just told the elders, they believed, they worshipped, they accepted the word of the Lord initially, and now they're riding high, and now they're going into the presence of the king of Egypt, who, by the way, from all of my reading that I, I uh, did on this text, um, believed he was a god and a deity, and um, many of and the Egyptians saw him as such. So afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert." Now look at verse two. Pharaoh said, 
Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Now, as readers, this shouldn't be shocking. We read in chapter 4 and also in chapter 3 of Exodus that the Lord told Moses and Aaron that Pharaoh wouldn't listen, that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and that um, Moses wasn't, uh, um, that Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. So we as readers, shouldn't, we shouldn't be shocked by, by this response of Pharaoh. But here's the other issue. Moses shouldn't have been shocked. God told them already that Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. But I want to stop and give you one of these uh, subordinate uh, themes that we find here. And that's this. In a very general sense and in a very real sense, this is true of all those who are unregenerate, that is not saved, not born again, who are dead in their trespasses and sins, that they reject, obviously, the word of the Lord. They are blind to the things of God. They do not listen to the Lord. They do not know the Lord. I often hear when I'm talking to my different brothers and sisters in Christ, when you'll see something horrible in the news, you find out that somebody did something unthinkable who isn't a believer, and a lot of times the comment would be, well, what do you expect? They don't believe. They're unbelievers. Would you expect differently? Of course, Pharaoh says the same thing, pretty much. He says, who's the Lord that I should obey? And I don't know the Lord. It's issue of whether you know God intimately or not. And if you don't, then you're blind and you're dead in sin. And in many ways, I want you to see this. Now getting back to the main point, in many ways, that's the, the key verse in chapter 5. Here we get it right here. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, doesn't know the Lord. And here's the point about that. He will not acknowledge. This is powerful when I, I saw this, as God showed it to me. He will not acknowledge God's authority over the Israelites. God's ownership. He believes that he has authority over God's people. Um, that's going to be a very big problem for Pharaoh, as we're going to see. And that's what the following chapters in Exodus are all about. It's about Yahweh. It's about the Lord. I am showing his people, showing Pharaoh, showing the entire world that he is the sovereign God of all, and especially of his own people. He has authority over the Israelites, and not only them, but the whole world. And God is going to use this whole thing with Pharaoh back and forth to glorify himself and to free his people, that they might glorify him freely. So at this point in the story, Pharaoh uh, refuses to acknowledge the word of the Lord given through Moses. And unfortunately, things are about to go from bad to worse for Moses, Aaron, and the people of God. Look at verse 3. So uh, you can see Moses saying, uh, I wasn't thinking that was going to be the response. So he says this in verse 3. He, he, he doubles down. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, where he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Verse 6, that same day, important to understand this, 
Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply these people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to God, to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention, notice this, to lies. Now don't miss what's going on here. We can easily miss it. The Lord has just staked his claim over Israel. They're his people, and Pharaoh needs to recognize this and let them go and worship him, the Lord. So now Pharaoh refuses to acknowledge the Lord's sovereignty, and now Pharaoh doubles down. This is Moses doubled down. Now Pharaoh doubles down on his own dominance and authority over Israel. And notice what Pharaoh does. This is, this is a while of the devil as he's using Pharaoh in many ways, because Pharaoh is unregenerate. He's actually putting a wedge between Moses and Aaron and the people. Right now, he's, he wants the people to view Moses and Aaron as making things work worse for them. So let's take a look at Moses' perspective on this for a moment. Not only did Moses' message not accomplish the desired result, of Pharaoh's letting the people go, but it actually made things much more hard, much harder, excuse me, and much more unbearable for the Hebrew slaves. Their situation, situation just went from bad, as we often say, to worse. Now, here's where I'm going to preach, because this really hit me in, in my study. How often do we second-guess ourselves when we feel, we really believe God's called us to share the gospel with someone or to bring God's word uh, to, to a certain people or people group or even to the church, and yet our message is rebuffed and it even brings out more hostility from the world and maybe even from God's people. And sometimes when we preach the good news, it makes life more difficult for us as Christians and for other believers. And so what happens is, and it's natural, is we begin to do some soul searching, don't we? Hey, maybe I didn't get the message right. Or maybe I wasn't discerned the, wills, the will of the Lord correctly. Or maybe he, he didn't send me after all because this thing, this thing is going south real quick. Maybe this just isn't my thing. But in this case, think about this, and this should be an encouragement to all gospel ministers, not just ordained, but just lay people as we exercise our gifts and we share the gospel and word and deed wherever God sends us, and that's this. Moses knew he was called by God. He knew he had the message from God spot on, and he brought it to the right person at the right time. And yet still, even though he was completely in God's will, did exactly what God told him to do by faith, what did he get? What did he get in turn? Hostile unbelief. That led, when you think about this, it led to putting his people in an even more desperate situation. And here's what, I'm, what, I'm, what I think the text is telling us. Sometimes sharing the good news of Jesus gets us into deeper trouble. God never guarantees, never says, if you do what I tell you to do, then things will go easy. 
See, Jesus told his disciples this. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. You may have peace. And you remember, I always quote this verse. I love it. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We all say, amen, hallelujah. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell you about my, one of my old buddies. I'm not going to say his name. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But he was married uh, later in life. And I remember that he came to visit Mary and I. And I remember saying, hey, how, how do you like marriage? How's it going? I remember him telling me, man, it's hard. And I remember him saying, I don't know why no one told me. And, you know, I called him out. I said, wait a minute, you try to tell me nobody told you that marriage was going to be difficult? He goes, well, he goes, I, you know, they might have told me. I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. I said, so, so they probably told you, right? And then he admitted, he goes, yeah. Yeah, I guess they told me. See, here's the thing, and, and we all do this. We have selective hearing. We hear what we want to hear. So, of course, we'll hear all, everything, all the information people have given him about marriage. Of course, in his heart and life, he's only highlighting the good parts, the positive parts, the parts he's been waiting for his whole life, and, and the challenges, the difficulties. In his own mind and heart, he's kind of glossing over those things, putting them in the background and not taking them seriously enough. And I think here with Moses, that's we have a, a case of that with Moses. Moses had selective hearing when the Lord told him, Pharaoh's not going to listen. And I think what we need to understand is, we look at a text like from us now in the New Covenant times, uh, we look at a text where Jesus says, in this world, you'll have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. We take the take heart, I've overcome the world. We take that to the bank. We dwell on it, and rightly so. But in the meantime, sometimes we don't take serious enough. In this world, you will have trouble. God's telling us this. Just because we belong to Jesus, just because he has set us free, and he has forgiven us of our sins, doesn't mean our life is now going to be easy. And this is a lesson that the people of God are going to need to learn in the desert because even after the exodus, as we will see later, there is still much suffering to come because they are the people of God in a fallen world. And they need to learn to trust God even in the suffering and find his peace. You know, um, there's that uh, series that followed up on the Karate Kid, uh, Cobra Kai. And um, what, I, what I really liked about this last season, one of the things I really liked about it, is it pointed out a couple of lessons that I don't think the media or uh, you'll see in Hollywood very often. But one of the comments that one of the characters made is, we don't do what's right because of the outcome. We do what's right because it's right. And that's, my brothers and sisters, we... Obey the word of the Lord by faith because he tells us to. Because he has a plan. Whether or not it fits in our time frame, whether or not it fits in our wisdom, we trust him and we do what he says. And sometimes when, he do what he, when we do what he says, it's going to get us into a, a bigger pickle. But as we're going to see later, that's just so God can glorify himself even greater through us. So the first thing we see is that the truth 
is rejected by the world. And then the second thing I want you to see here, very short point, is that the truth is labeled a lie by the world. Notice with Pharaoh, he doesn't just reject God's word and refuse to let God's people go. He makes their lives even harder, but then he adds insult to injury when he labels the word of the Lord given through Moses as lies. Notice in the text he says, make them work harder so they'll pay no attention to what? Lies. Now, Mo, now Pharaoh is directly opposing the Lord saying, his word is lie. Is a lie. You need to listen to my word. Once again, we shouldn't be surprised when the world, the sons of this, this age, unredeemed humanity around us, including world leaders, label God's truth the truth of his word as nothing but a bunch of lies. Now, in our world, it goes something like this. Listen, let me give you some illustrations so you're thinking, Santo, where is this in our world? See, we see that Pharaoh said this, but what about our world? Well, have you ever heard this one? When you share the gospel with people? Well, the Bible's just a book written by men. Ever hear that one? In other words, denying that it's God's word, that the Holy Spirit moved in those men to speak the exact words that God would have them say. Or, of course, the old one, religion is just an opiate of the masses. Then there's the objection I've heard very frequently in my life when I share um, God's word. And that's this one. Santo, those ideas are so old. They're so obsolete. I can go on and on and list the ways the world not only dismisses the truth of God's word, but labels it as a lie. But of course, that is the way of the world. 1 John 5.19 tells us this about people who don't know Jesus yet. We know that we, that is those of faith in Christ, are children of God. And that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And we can't forget that's the very thing that the evil one did back in the garden. First thing he did when he uh, went to tempt our first parents has God said? He questioned the veracity of God's word, and then he flatly contradicted. You will not die when you eat of it. Complete contradiction. But that's the irony of it. The world chooses to believe the lie. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is important. And then the lie blinds them to the truth, which is right in front of them, and they can't see it. You know, like, like killing a baby is a woman's reproductive choice when you have a baby right in front of you. Or, you know, uh, when the person sitting next to you on the bus with a different skin color or a funny accent is less intelligent or less human than you. It's a lie from the pit of the hell pit of hell. And it's very telling that the line of pharaohs in the book of Exodus had issues with both of those things. Had all the young boys killed, you remember that? No regard for human life. And enslaved another race and treated them as subhuman. And he has, you know, the pot called the kettle black. He has a nerve to tell, to call the word of the Lord 
a lie and to tell the Israelites God's people don't pay attention. So the world rejects the word of the Lord. The world labors the word of the, the word of the Lord as a lie. Not, not really surprising. I'm probably not giving you anything uh, you've never heard before, most of us. But here's a real sad thing, and we're going to see it in the text. It's when the truth is denied by the church. Wow. It's one thing for the world to reject the truth of the word, call it a lie. It's another thing for the church of Jesus Christ. Um, back then, the old covenant people looking ahead to the, up to the Messiah, us looking back to what he's done, when we deny the truth of God's word. So we read in uh, verses 10 to 18, I'm not going to read them all right now for time's sake, but we read about how difficult Pharaoh made their lives, made it miserable, made them make, uh, continue to make the bricks, but without straw, they had to go foraging for any kind of rubble that they could put into the bricks. Um, and yet they still had to do their full quota. And what was interesting is the foremen were Hebrews that were appointed. And they had a better job, obviously, than the rest of the Hebrew brethren because they were in charge of keeping them at the tasks. But in this case, they were the ones, they were the fall guys. They got beat. Probably for the first time, they're getting beat because the quota of the bricks didn't come on time the way they were supposed to. So now they're not happy. And they go and they complain to Pharaoh. And of course, uh, Pharaoh uh, basically says, you're lazy, get back to it. Uh, you must produce your full quota of bricks, verse 17. And then in verse 19, the Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told you're not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting, Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, listen, here it is. May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So notice what happens. The Israelite foremen go from complaining to Pharaoh to blaming Moses and Aaron. You know, and they try, they try to, to distance themselves from blaming God. May the Lord curse you, even though the Lord's the one who gave them the words to speak. And even though Pharaoh is the evil one who's making them on the human side of things do um, extra labor, and he's the one that had them beat. beaten. Now remember how I began this sermon, how hard it is to wait on the Lord. Well, add suffering to the equation, and it becomes really hard to bear. We've got to be fair and see this in the text. But the thing that we see here where the Israelite foremen go too far and transgress is when they say that it's Moses and Aaron's fault. And they leave the Lord out of it. And Pharaoh. So here's the interesting thing. Notice who takes the brunt of, of uh, speaking the word of the Lord, even though it was the word of the Lord himself who commanded Pharaoh let his people go. It's Moses and Aaron. And, and this is what it really hit me, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I've been walking with Jesus since 86. I've been a minister since 96. And I got to say this, uh, sometimes to my shame, 
or I don't have enough faith. That's the sting for the minister of the gospel. John McKay puts it this way. It is clear that those who are carrying out God's work may anticipate opposition even from the individuals they're trying to help. It is a hard thing. It breaks your heart. When you go, you're, you're, you're filled with excitement and zeal and, and you're, you're totally encouraged and you can't wait. You're, you're bubbling with optimism and you go to help, especially in this case, the people of the Lord and in return, you get persecution. You get backlash. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, one of those things, again, with the selective listening, when we prepare young men for the ministry, um, we don't, they don't come to terms with it as quickly as they should. And I speak for myself as well. But taking the insults and the backlash of even God's people upon us um, because they can't see past their suffering and waiting, um, that is a part of the, the gospel ministry, and that's a part of the privilege of suffering with Jesus and with knowing God. Later on, when, when God comes to Moses' defense, that's worth any suffering, to have God own you and say, he's my friend. That's awesome. And to be a friend of God is to share the heart of God. It is, in some ways, even back here, in Exodus times, is to share the suffering for the sake of Messiah, in that case to come, in our case, who it has come. And I think it's very interesting to see this. Notice what Moses does with their complaint and with his own perplexity, because he's like, what's going on here? Like, this thing ain't working. You know, he tries once, he tries twice, and it's still not working. Look what he does. Look at verse 22. It's very important. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Now, before we get into the, the main part of his prayer and response to the Lord, we have to see something. And it's very important. It's that very beginning. Moses returned or turned to the Lord. In other words, Moses took his disappointment, his discouragement, and his complaint to the Lord. That's no small thing. This is what I mean. It shows genuine faith and, grow, and a, the growing relationship that he had with God by grace through faith. Unlike when he was 40. What happened when they didn't listen when he was 40? He hightailed it out of there. He ran away. He says, I'm finished. This is done. I'm, I'm going to get out of here. He doesn't run this time. He doesn't say, you know, sometimes I think I, I'm going back to Midian, man. I got a wife. I got kids. I got stuff to do. Instead, he takes it to the Lord in prayer. Douglas Stewart puts it this way. Moses included a detail that shows how he himself was unreasonably impatient for God's deliverance. What Moses eventually learned, all believers have had to learn for themselves. Listen, this to me was Bam. God's timing only sometimes coincides with our expectations. And his idea of the hardships we know that we need to go through only sometimes can, can coincides with our idea of how much we can take. 
In other words, it's very rare that God's timing is our timing. We need to learn that and relearn that. Some of us. And it's also true, we think we can't take no more. God's like, oh, you can take a lot more. <laughs> as much as we don't want to hear it when we're in the midst of a bitter, bitter suffering, the truth is this, my brothers and sisters, hear it, no matter what you're going through today. It's one of the reasons God gave this text to the Israelites first, and then to us, believers in the new covenant. And that's simply this. God has a plan. He will exalt himself among the nations. Sound familiar? Very famous psalm says that. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. God's timetable often doesn't fit our projected timetable. You know, we have a certain timetable we think God should get things done in. Such times we forget, and this is important to understand, we forget, listen, this is so important. Um, we forget that his plan is not simply the best of all available options. His plan is the perfect plan. Perfect plan. One more John McKay. I found that he's had a lot of great things to say as I looked at his commentary. God's purposes do not always proceed in the way we expect them to. Even though we have good reason to anticipate a certain outcome, it does not follow, listen, this is important, that we can dictate the time or the method that God will use to achieve, to achieve his stated aim. Oh, how much suffering I would have, would have been avoided in my life if I would have followed that. You can't tell God how he's going to do what he's promised to do or when. Not only that, that, always, that, that ruins it. He, his time, he's always right on time. He, you know what the thing about God is? He doesn't follow new city time. He follows his perfect time. God is going to act, my brothers and sisters, as we look at this text. And he's going to be, and his actions are going to be bigger. They're going to be grander. They're going to be more miraculous than the people of God and even Moses back then could have imagined. So big, listen to this. In fact, so big would be his mighty deliverance that it would be spoken of for all time after that, not just in Israel, but the whole world to this day, the Exodus, God's people's Exodus through the Red Sea on dry ground is still a renowned true story that the world knows. And it foreshadowed a greater story of the deliverance he was going to bring through his son on the cross of Calvary and through his resurrection. But notice that's not how God replies to Moses. Instead, he simply reminds Moses of who he is, what he promised, and what he will do. You know, we often say this, Hindsight is 2020. Well, so is foresight. Listen, foresight is 2020 when it's based squarely on the promises of God's word. That means, brothers and sisters, we can see with 2020 vision if we take God's word at his word, if we take God at his word and we believe it, what he says he will do, we can see clearly that it's a done deal. And that's when foresight is 2020, when we believe. Last thing I want to point out 
and this is very brief because it'll open up into the whole next message, but I can't end this, this message without mentioning it. We've seen the truth rejected by the world, the truth labeled a lie by the world. We've seen the truth um, rejected by God's people to some degree. And now we're going to see, and this is just in, in brief, to get us started for next message, the truth is proclaimed by the Lord. And this is important. Uh, in chapter 6, the Lord does respond to Moses' complaint. And we're going to look at it in detail in a few weeks. But as I come to a conclusion with this message, I just want to bring out one point. How does God combat doubt, discouragement, and disillusion in this text? Notice what he does. It's pretty amazing. He personally preaches a sermon to his servant Moses. As it were, he sits Moses down and says, now you're going to listen. I heard you. I hear you. But now it's your turn to stop speaking and do what you need to do to listen. And notice he doesn't give, we're going to look at chapter 6 in detail next time, but he doesn't give Moses all the answers to the timetable and explain all the questions I'm sure that was swirling in Moses' head and the people were asking. Instead, he reiterates, he reiterates excuse me, his promise to deliver his people with a mighty hand and gives Moses the reason he can take said promise all the way to the bank. He says this, basically, I will do it, Moses, with a mighty hand. You can't get Pharaoh to listen. I'm going to do it. Notice, and then we'll see in chapter 6, he reminds him of what he has done in calling Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I was faithful to them. He says, I am the Lord. He points to Moses who he is, his very being, his character, his power. And then seven times he says, I will, I will, I will, seven times. In other words, he reminds Moses of who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the message of the text this morning. Even when the truth of God's word is rejected by the world, we can patiently wait in faith, even in our suffering, knowing that God's, work is as, God's word is as rock solid as his character. See, those of us who trust in Christ, we do know the Lord. And we only have him to thank by his grace. But as we look at the text, we see Pharaoh doesn't yet. But he's about to. <laughs> Not in a saving way, but he's about to find out when it's too late for him. That he's messing with the one true God. My brothers and sisters, the world around us may be believing a lie, pushing a lie. But we pray for them. And we bring good, the good news of the gospel to them so they won't find out the hard way who the Lord is. But you and I, we know who he is. So let's trust him even when our circumstances uh, try to scream the opposite. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of your word. We thank you that you are the Lord, Yahweh, I am. We thank you that you have worked in history, 
that you have shown yourself to us, that you are faithful, 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 and that you alone have the power to glorify yourself in the salvation of your elect and in the destruction and judgment of those who don't believe and who reject you. Lord, magnify yourself in our lives and even in our suffering, Lord, give us your, the same grace you gave Job because he was a flesh and blood person like us, a sinner saved by grace. Give us that patience and that trust that even in our suffering, we can see clearly because we have your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, primarily now as it's been revealed in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.